Our scripture comes from the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. And so it takes place right after Pentecost, right after the, the beginning of the church. There's this big lecture sermon that Peter gives in front of everyone, and then we have this great moment at the end of the chapter. Here are these words. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers, and a sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles, and all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community of those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I studied history in college. I, I enjoy history, um, not just the, the stories and fun stories, but there are a lot of fun and, and weird stories in history, but the complexity that emerges out of such study. I, I started a podcast a few years ago called The History of Methodism, which I've shared with um, the congregation in the newsletter. It's a, it's a very detailed history of, of the Methodist church. Most, most histories of Methodism start with John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, either like as a child or, or later in life when he's at Oxford or other places like that. Um, I chose to start 200 years before the life of Wesley. Um, and so I started this, this, this history of Methodism with Martin Luther. And the point of that... Um, was to show how um, the different intellectual and um, political influences on the life of John Wesley. Because there's a way to tell the story of Methodism that makes John Wesley to be this, this great innovator and, and ideas man who brought all these things to bear, um, which is good for as far as it is, but I think, but showing the history beforehand shows how he was just using other people's ideas um, in a different way. And for me, that makes the movement of, of Methodism a lot more powerful because the point is not the genius of this one individual who is irreplaceable, but that God worked through this person then to cause the church that we are still a part of today, that the God who moved 200 years ago is still moving in this place. And we don't have to be um, theological geniuses. We don't have to be um, organizational geniuses to be faithful Christians, that that God is still with us this day. Another reason I, I enjoy history is thinking about the, the absolute contingency of things, how so many moments in history could have gone different directions. And this is like, just stick with Methodist history. Back in the 17th century, when um, James I, who the King James Bible is named after, if he had not named his son's dancing instructor a duke, um, then the Duke of Buckingham would have lost so many wars in the 1620s to cause bankruptcy in England, to cause Charles I to... Um, have dismissed Parliament, which led to the Civil War. Like, that, the, the contingency of that. And then, there's another, in that moment, if Charles I had not sent Scotland a prayer book they didn't want, Scotland would not have revolted and defeated the English in the Bishops' War, which also caused a Civil War. Um, and the, these moments of contingency. If the Astros manager in 2019 had left Zach Greinke on the mound in Game 7, <laughs> the Astros would have won the World Series. This is fact. The contingency of things, all of human history is filled with these moments. Our history shapes our present 
and our future. Our history did not need to be the way that it was. This goes for the world and the global church, for our country as well as for our local church. My friends, we are starting a new sermon series on the church, past, present, and future, looking at where we have been, where we are, and where we are going. We start with the past, but as William Faulkner wrote, the past is never dead, it is not even past. The decisions and choices of the past shape who we are today. The generosity of the past shapes our understanding as well of what is possible today. Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, is celebrated as the birthday of the church. This is what was going on in Acts chapter 2. Usually when Acts chapter 2 is read, it's on Pentecost. When the disciples were gathered together and, and the flames, let tongues like fire, land on them and they hear all these voices in different languages and they all understand each other. And Peter goes out and preaches. And Peter, in one way, is responding because all the Christians are, are, these new Christians are talking to each other and understanding in different languages. And he says, people, you have to understand, we are not drunk for it is only nine o'clock in the morning because there wasn't tailgating in the early church. But, but he says that. And so and then, he, then he, he gathers the people together and, and this, this great many people come to, come to the Lord in that moment. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to the shared meals, to their prayers. And a sense of awe came over. All were united in unity. This sounds wonderful, a taste of heaven. The believers were united and devoted to God in, in prayers and in meals. This is a church being the church in a powerful way. They shared everything. They prayed all the time. But the radical thing was not what they did with their resources or what they did with their time. It is how God, they let God guide their lives. One of my teachers once wrote, about this passage, people caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. What is far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who dares impose on us divine love. Such love will not play fair. In the moment we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, or shelter the homeless, using it to create the bonds of shared love. I love that line, such love will not play fair. So often we look to God's love for it to work within the status quos that we find ourselves. If we are struggling, we want God to resolve that struggle but kind of get us back to the, the easy easy plane we may have had. Such love will not play fair. 20 years ago, the land we are sitting on this morning was a failed real estate venture from the 70s. Um, it was partitioned into a lot of places. Someone thought it would, it would be a big thing, and it did not. And so um, that's, that's what we were. There were no plans for a church in this area. The Austin district of the United Methodist Church was looking for nor to North Austin, to, to, for church plants. The demographics of this area did not match what they uh, assumed and expected, but the textbook said that a good, a place ripe for a church plant would be. Our present existence as a church was contingent on circumstances nobody could have predicted. Nothing was inevitable about it. The next year, a group of residents in Briarcliffs wrote a letter to the Austin District superintendent and 
things started to happen fast. Pretty soon, uh, Reverend David Payne was appointed as a planting pastor in, at what was then began, began to be the Pedernales River United Methodist Church. In Palm Sunday of 2003, the first official worship service took place at Resort Ranch off of Pace Bend Road. They were still eyeing that kind of area for a church. They were um, looking for, for plots of land and possibilities of building. Pretty soon, the church was chartered, less than a year, which is not often done. And chartering is a fancy church word that basically means you're on your own now. <laughs> you have to take care of yourself now. You don't get funds from us now. You have to pay your apportionments now. Um, which is about 10 to 15% of your church going back to the greater Methodist church. But, but, you know, it wasn't done, but that's what happened here. And then, a few, then soon after that, the kind of the building search looked in a different direction, and this, this property was made, made available. The dream of a, the building was a dream for God being present and glorified here, as well as for the community here to be served and cared for. In August of 2005, a few years after the first service, the church approved a loan from the Texas Methodist Foundation and changed the name officially to Bee Creek United Methodist Church. It was a loan for $2.4 million for a building on this campus, this building that we are sitting in right here. A lot of people have come to Christ here. A lot of people have been baptized here. A lot of people have turned their lives around in this space that nobody could have predicted. What was true with both the early church and with the beginnings of Bee Creek is that people were open to the movements of God in directions they could never have predicted. I had a, a lunch with uh, the, the vice president of the Texas Methodist Foundation who signed on our original loan and, um, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how when he first came out here to talk about um, the, the plans for the property to look at it, he was like, I don't know if this is going to work, guys. I mean, you don't, you're not on a major highway. <laughs> The, the campus, I've never seen anything like this, of laid out as a, as a future retreat center. I mean, this is not, but, but the, the early, early church planters and founders were, were insistent and persistent. They convinced him enough to sign off on that loan. People were caught up in the love of God. But God's love can be dangerous for our expectations of ourselves. God can ask us to do things we may not predict. As well in the early church and at Bee Creek, there has been some church stuff going on. This is one of my, my parents' good friends who says, I like church, I just don't like church stuff. Church stuff is, is the bickering, is the, the talking behind the back. Church stuff is the committees where nothing happens. Church stuff is the, the fights over whether or not to have marble in the sanctuary. I like church, I don't like church stuff. And Acts Chapter 5, a few passages after this, Ananias and Sapphira start withholding from the church, withholding from God. They start lying to each other. The church starts breaking apart. And the early church begins to look a lot more like the, the people of Israel after the Exodus, when they get in the promised land, and there's the different tribes, and there's, there's Benjamin and Judah, and all of these, and Dan, um, sorry, Dan, but there's a Dan tribe, and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look pretty. They all start fighting with each other and bickering over each other, claiming what, what they deserve. And then when someone doesn't agree with them, they just turn around and like talk to the other brother. And they're like, well, if you're not going to go with me, then I'm not going to deal with you. And so they, they, they move apart. They start tearing at the seams. 
There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of talk of the good old days. The great danger of our past, the great danger of, of history is, is nostalgia. Nostalgia makes everything old, good, and everything present insufficient and in compared with the old. Turns into these kids these days. I tell you what, they never listen, they never sit still. I remember when I was a kid, life was good, I sat still, I listened. The yearning for past golden age is constant. There's never a moment where people in history, human history have ever been like, okay, now is as good as the past was. Um, there is this, in the early um, ancient Greece, they talked about the golden age. The term golden age comes from this Greek writer, Hesiod, who talked about golden was the era of man before um, the titans fell. And, and they, was like, there was, they never had to work for anything. Everybody was happy and treated everybody kindly. And so often it was like, wouldn't it be great if we went back to the good old days? The troubles of the present always seem new and the troubles of the past always seem minor. It's like, gosh, what a, remember when this was going on? That was great. But now we're stuck here. But God never does this. God never talks about nostalgia. God doesn't never hearken us to go back. God doesn't say, man, you guys should go back to the Garden of Eden. Or if only you went back to here. Jesus says, you foolish generation, again and again, which is kind of like the kids these days of ancient Greece, you foolish generation, but he never calls them to go backwards. He never says, you should be in the past. Instead, he points to a future with God. He says, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's here. Your future is here. Repent, which means turn around. Turn around. Don't go that path of destruction anymore, you foolish generation. You don't have to go that way. This building wasn't built for the first people here. This building wasn't built for the first donors. It wasn't, it's not their private kingdom. This building was built for God. People didn't pledge and give to glorify themselves, but to glorify God. The point was not to recreate the church of the past for everyone to bring their own childhood conceptions of who God is and to mix it all up and create this new thing here, but to share God's grace and peace now and in the future. In your bulletin today, there is a, um, a little sheet with a pledge card. There's some other cards if you um, would prefer a standalone card and don't like tearing things. Um, that's okay. I, I will we'll accept non-torn or torn pledge cards. Um, pledges are, uh, they're pledges for the next year. And we're pretty excited that one of the things that's changed this year over the past few years is there's no longer a line item for um, if you want to support the building fund or reduce the debt. Because um, the debt, the debt, that note that I saw with, with Mr. Robert Hoppe wrote is no longer valid, that we do not have any debt on this building anymore, um, thanks to the generosity of this church. That, that $2.4 million loan that was took out in 2005 is no longer, there's no lien against us in any way. And that's pretty exciting because that means we don't have to think about that anymore. After Pentecost, the church gathered and shared together, not because they knew what God was doing, but because they knew that God was there. A pledge is a gift for the future based on an experience in the past. The church has historically understood the tithe, um, this, this funky word used only in churches, as a way to respond to God in a controlled manner. 
A tithe is not a membership fee, but a tithe is also not like a maximum that you cannot give any more than 10%. No pastor will ever say, oh no, don't give more. Don't give, please stop, please stop. Um, but it's a way to understand how, do we, how can we respond to God's gifts in, a, in, a, in a, a sustainable way? How can we respond to what God is doing? Your pledge helps us plan and budget for the next year of what God is doing, and we don't want to slow God down. Paying off the debt is not a moment to rest on our laurels, but to continue our mission with untied hands. Next year, we hope to, to support our, our children in ministry even more. Next year, we hope to add more, more youth programs and increase adult education, have more opportunities for, for adults to find time in the scriptures, to grow in their faith in discipleship. Next year, we hope to build out our mission works, both, both here and around the world. We want to start in our community with a dream that, uh, that we've had that has been here for a while that I, I've termed Bee Creek Village of having ways of supporting the unhoused in our community in ways that we can uh, have wraparound services and protect them that is just lost in this part of Travis County. The past is not the future. Who this church was when it was planted is not who it is today because the God of all history has been present with us. The past is not our future, but Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. The same spirit that floated on the, tongue, on the heads of those disciples at Pentecost. The same spirit that, that convinced John Wesley to turn his life around on the um, Aldersgate Road when he felt his heart strangely warmed. The same spirit that, that started this church. The same spirit is here with us today. God's activity in history has not gone away. God is with us this day, and God is not finished with us. We are not completed at this time. There are people who need God's presence here who are not yet here. May you receive God's grace this day. May you be caught up in the love of God, but may you be ready for God to push you in a direction you may not expect. That at first you may not be comfortable, but then you realize that's where God wanted you to be all along. God wants you to be here for others. That is why this church is here. That is what our past is about. That is what our future can be in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your grace was sufficient at Pentecost. Your love filled the hearts of the early Christians. May we receive that same spirit this day. May we remember that the love of God continues to transform lives and transform the world. And may we be willing to be transformed by God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.